I'm Adam Seafew. And I'm Scott Stern. And we're here with another episode of S2D, the Symptom to Diagnosis podcast. This podcast teaches evidence-based strategies for diagnosing common medical symptoms. We begin each episode with a case unknown to one of us. We then discuss five high-yield features that help to accurately diagnose the cause of the symptom at hand. We then return to our case before finishing up with a discussion of fingerprints, common misconceptions, pet peeves, and other random pearls of knowledge pertaining to the weak symptom. The cases that we discuss are drawn from our clinical experience, but because protecting patient privacy is part of our oath, we never discuss actual patients, and most cases are composites. What are we talking about today, Scott? Today is hematuria day. You know, I actually knew that's what I we knew you knew that. <laughs> All right, so Adam, you are the expert of the day, and I bet you have a case to present to me. I do. And in fact, I could have skipped that whole thing about patient privacy because for the second time, I will be presenting a case of my own health issue. Aha. You ready for the case? Now I'm afraid. (laughs) Okay. I'm actually going to give you a little bit of the history today, and I'm going to have you ask me some questions. Okay. Okay. So this is a 45-year-old man, a physician. I see this was some years ago. This was... (laughs) (laughs) And this man was vacationing in Hawaii with his family. He went on a long, beautiful walk in the morning. His kids actually complained that it was like the Bataan Death March was the um, words they used. After the hike, um, he drops off his wife and daughter so they can go horseback riding. This patient hates horseback riding. And then goes to a coffee shop with his son. He drinks a large iced coffee, goes to the bathroom, where he passes reddish-brown urine. He hydrates well, sees no more blood for the duration of the vacation, and then goes to his doctor three days after his return. Well, that's fun. Yeah. Okay, so let's see. Um, uh, You know, first, the first thing that uh, strikes me is two things. One, it's reddish brown. Yeah. So it doesn't really sound like lower tract bleeding, frankly. Uh, You know, bladder bleeding, um, blood clots really suggest bladder bleeding, but even without that, bladder bleeding tends to be red. Sure. So this could be glomerular bleeding, or it could be something that's non-bleeding. I mean, the Bataan death march certainly raises the question of you know, either rhabdomyolysis or uh, March hemoglobinuria. Sure. Uh, which I've often heard talked about and never seen. Right, right, so right. that would be interesting. Right. Um, is he on, and it never happened again, which is very interesting. So what medications is this patient on? Uh, this patient was on no medications at the time. I think he uses like albuterol for asthma. Um, no other medical problems, you know, perfectly healthy guy, non-smoker, and had no pain uh, with the episode as well, no burning, anything like that, and noted no change in his urinary symptoms. Um, just discolored. Just discolored, yeah. Right, so no frequency, no urgency, no fever, so UTI sounds unlikely. And again, I would have expected that to be red primarily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't sound like a stone, given yeah. the color and the lack of pain, although I suppose it's possible. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a malignancy, given the nature of the color of the urine. I mean, what you would really want, and I have a feeling we can't get it now, is to have known what the urine was at the time. Because right. I'd like to see, frankly, whether he has a positive, di- the classic thing, if he has, you know, uh, hemolysis from marching would be that he has red urine that is dip positive, but microscopy negative. Right. 
and maybe a CPK just to make sure he didn't have rhabdo sure. associated with the walking. Um, but I suspect all those are going to be normal now. And then the question is going to be, if they're normal, um, what do you do about this? Right, right. <laughs> and unfortunately, this person um, does not carry urine dipsticks with him on a regular basis to do it at the time. Let me add one more little piece of history, um, is that the night before this hike, um, patient went out, he had hamburger, french fries, and that night just felt sort of some... Uh, sort of diffuse, I guess, nonspecific belly pain. Still kind of felt that in the morning. By the time the hike was over, was sort of feeling fine, not really feeling that anymore. Hmm. So let's assume that that's significant and you're not just telling me that for no, no, no reason. That would, that would be cruel. Um, and so what would that make me think? If there was something going on in the gastrointestinal tract, could he have some sort of associated... Um, glomerular nephritis that's that's showing up. Oh, interesting. Yeah, good. Um, but I'm not exactly keying in on what th that might be. So, um, so let's leave it there. Okay. Um, this this is as I was saying. This is cruel because this is like the most atypical presentation ever of something really obvious. Um, so I'll you'll stop torturing me. I will and stop just, torturing you, oh and I goodness. and I will recognize that there will probably be some comeuppance at the end of all this. <laughs> at least in a different case. Yes. Okay. So let's get to a deep dive, and I think you're going to start us off with five key points about diagnosing hematuria, which I have to say gets everybody's attention when they see blood in the urine. They're in your office. Quickly. Oh, oh my God, absolutely. I, I remember actually seeing a movie when I was like in middle school where someone had hematuria in the movie and I was like freaked out and had to leave the movie theater. So a as usual, uh, you know, you've touched on many of my five key points already just um, as you sort of thought through this case and, and talked out loud. So point one is that not all red urine is hematuria. Um, there are sort of two important things. There's pigmenturia, um, which is where the urine just turns red but has nothing to do with, with blood at all. I think the most common things I think about that is beets. Like I see that all the time during the summer. Someone goes to the farmer's market, is all excited, buys a bunch of beets, and then their urine turns red. Usually their stool turns red the next day too. Uh, medications, rifampin, I think being the most classic. And then um, phenazopyridine, uristat, which is you know, bladder anesthetic, kind of classically turns the urine red. And then there are also substances which turn the urine red and cause for a positive positive dipstick for blood, but without red cells. And you mentioned this already, and that's hemoglobin uh, as with hemolysis or myoglobin as with rhabdo. Yeah, the other dark substance I was thinking about as you were talking when you mentioned your GI problems is bilirubin. Now, bilirubin often looks, I would say, orange, right? orange to brownish. So if you were throwing me a real curveball, which I'll beat you up for later yeah. will be yeah. uh, bilirubin in the urine. But, you know, we often talk about these things. I have to say, have you, uh, we'll see what this case is. Aside from this case, have you seen myoglobin or hemoglobin show up in the urine in all your years of practice as the, at, not from red cells? So I have seen myoglobin urea, you have. but at a time that was in no way a diagnostic dilemma because it was a patient who was basically a couple of patients who were presenting with rhabdo. Right. Um, actually, you know, the most interesting case I saw of that is someone who had um, terrible Legionella pneumonia and had rhabdo related to Legionella infection and had myoglobinuria related to that. You know, worldwide, uh, rhabdomyolysis is the most common cause of renal failure from earthquakes. 
Interesting. So people get crush injuries right. and release all this myoglobin and then have renal failure. Right. Well, you actually see, I, <laughs> this is going to be one of those podcasts we get way off the subject, but that's okay. It's going to happen every now and then. Um, I've actually seen sometimes films of, you know, rescuing victims from collapses. And when things are done well, like if they're working on freeing someone, but don't have them out yet, they will throw in an IV and alkalinize them with the idea that, you know, as we're digging this person out, we'll try to wow, save their that's kidneys. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. All right, the second point. The one other thing I wanted to mention, sure. um, you had mentioned March hemoglobinuria. I imagine we probably won't get back to that. Just for people who don't know what that is, I think the idea of that is you actually get hemolysis just from sort of red cell shear as they kind of course through the muscles in your lower extremities, which are super active. That's about right. I think that's right. Okay. Second key point. So I, when I think about the hematuria differential, I really think about organizing it by anatomy, okay? And some of the structures in the anatomy are more likely, or some of the abnormalities you know, in the anatomy are more likely to cause gross hematuria, some more likely to cause microscopic hematuria. But either way, you know, the workup is about the same, and so I'll be talking about that all together. My third key point is, is let's get into the differential. And the first real pivotal point, and, and Scott, again, you mentioned this, um, is, is the hematuria glomerular or not, okay? Glomerular hematuria will have some classic findings, and those are dysmorphic red cells in the urine and maybe red cell casts. And glomerular hematuria may also be associated with things like um, hypertension, proteinuria, acute kidney injury, if you have glomerulonephritis going on at the same time. Other causes of hematuria, so non-glomerular causes of hematuria, usually just have red cells in the urine. It is a little tricky if there's a fair amount of blood, because if you have a fair amount of blood, then sometimes because blood's leaking and you do get some protein, but I don't think I've ever seen like three or four plus protein in right. the face of non-glomerular bleeding. Right. I agree with that. Um, I'm going to sort of stay away from glomerulonephritis because glomerulonephritis has sort of freaked me out since I was a second year medical student and like read Robbins and I was like, I can't learn this stuff. Um, and to be honest with you, it really is mostly the purview of the nephrologist. But just to throw out some common causes, if you're talking about isolated glomerular hematuria, so basically glomerular hematuria without a lot of other problems going on, IgA nephropathy, Alport syndrome, thin base basement membrane nephropathy are common. And then common cause of real glomerulonephritis, um, post-infectious, um, SLE, lupus, or you know certainly in the hospital, HUSTTP. And HUS is associated with some of the GI infections, is it not? Right. So you can imagine that this person maybe they went to, what was it? It was Jack in the Box that had outbreaks of E. coli. Campylobacter or exactly. Salmonella or Shigella exactly. and just happening to see this after they're marching. Exactly. That would be cruel, but definitely right. on the list. I think actually also if it had happened to me, you would have known about it, right? Because it would have been such a great story. I would have told you 20 times by now. Probably so. Um, fourth key point, most of the time, the cause of hematuria will be infection, stones, 
or tumors of the kidney, ureter, bladder, or prostate, okay? Most of those being urothelial, right? Um, kind of kidney, ureter, bladder. Workup should certainly be guided by demographics of the patient. You know, is this a younger patient? Is this an older patient? And symptoms, you know, is this one episode of gross hematuria with nothing else? Does the person have kidney stone pain? Does the person have um, infectious symptoms? But in the end, you know, you work it up. If you find something based on the history and physical, great. If you don't, though, every patient should sort of end with a CT urogram that's a pre and post contrast abdominal pelvic CT and cystoscopy to make sure you've really cleared the entire uh, urinary tract. There are really excellent commonly updated guidelines on the evaluation, mostly of microscopic hematuria. Um, The most recent one is from the AUA, the American Urologic Association. I have been struck by how much bladder cancer I see in my clinic. This This is not an uncommon problem. This is a common problem. You get an older man who has hematuria, and it is all too often bladder cancer. Right. So those guidelines are spot on. This right. We're not talking about a rare phenomenon right. here. Right. And the good thing is, is that a lot of bladder cancer presents very early. If you respond appropriately to microscopic hematuria or gross hematuria, you'll find it when it's, you know, whatever, epithelial, right? And there's no invasion into the muscularis, and that's an easy tumor to treat. Right. All right, so you have one more point for us. Fifth and final cause, I'm going to throw out a couple of, I don't know if they're zebras, but just things that we don't talk about very much. There are some uncommon um, causes, renal causes of hematuria. I think when I think about renal cause of hematuria, um, I'm mostly thinking about you know, is this glomerulonephritis or is this like a renal tumor or stone? But things that you actually see occasionally are polycystic kidney disease, papillary necrosis, which I think we probably see the most in people with uh, sickle cell disease, um, and even renal vein thrombosis, um, you know, is not a common problem, but is not like a one in a million kind of thing. So let's go back to our case. I'm kind of curious. So can I ask you for a physical exam and then some tests? So you're seeing them three weeks later. Three days later. Three days later. Oh, I thought it was weeks. So three days later. So his vital signs? Uh, Vital signs are normal. He's feeling absolutely well at this time. Though he says he still has a little bit of, you know, kind of vague abdominal discomfort. But your abdominal exam is completely normal. And is that diffuse or localized, that abdominal discomfort? Um, His discomfort, he says, it is primarily um, right-sided. Primarily right-sided. Okay, is he having any fevers? No fevers. No rebound, no guarding? No rebound, no Upper guarding. or lower right side? Uh, it's upper and maybe a little bit towards the side and maybe even all the way around to the flank. Oh, really? Yeah. So right-sided upper abdominal pain to the flank. So now we're talking about either in the right kidney or in the gallbladder, again, just dark urine. All right, I need to see some labs on this fella. Okay. So his labs are completely normal. CBC normal. CMP is normal. A UA, um, interestingly, was positive for blood. One plus blood, no red cells. And that's all you got. But he's tender. This is peculiar. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I don't actually know what I'm dealing with. I kind of know what I might do next, but I don't know. So, um, you know, I'm not always convinced when they don't see red cells that the cell's just in lice. So the classic teaching on this is this is hemoglobinuria without red cells. But red cells can lice in a dilute urine. And so probably the most common cause of heme-positive, red cell-negative 
urine is just lysis of red cells, not really hemolysis. Especially in a physician who has been drinking a ton because he was freaked out by seeing the hematuria. He didn't really want to see it anymore and had some wild, crazy thinking. So I guess I would probably get an ultrasound, look for a stone in this situation. Okay. Uh, so um, what happened? You are right on to your colleague who saw me, who is thinking the exact same thing, who scheduled me actually for a CT urogram followed by cystoscopy. Um, this was a Monday. Two days later, before the CT scan, I go for a run and I come back and once again have gross hematuria. I get the CT that, that afternoon and I've got a five millimeter stone in my proximal ureter just stuck there. And that's all the pain that you're in? That's it. You don't know how to read a book to save your life. I know. Did I escape it beautifully? Wait, Um, it's mostly abdominal, maybe a little bit in the flank? Yeah. I have to say, you're the only person I've ever heard who presented primarily with abdominal pain from a kidney stone. Yeah, and I think I just got off so easy because I was like, you know, it was pain that I would just blow off and I wouldn't even pay much attention to it. Well, usually when you see people with kidney stones, you know, it's up there with, you know, childbirth, right? (laughs) It's like some of the worst pain Right, I mean, hit me with a bad type pain, right? right? right. Well, I can promise you if I ever have a kidney stone, I will present classically rolling on the ground with (laughs) pain. It's funny, I was so relieved when I got the CT result back because at that point I was like, well, I clearly have renal cell carcinoma. Um, and so I was thrilled when I heard that I had a And stomach. why when you're running is this happening? Why? I think what happened is that, you know, it was there, it was not doing anything, not creating a whole lot of problems. Go running for four miles, jiggle it around a whole lot, you know, roughed up the ureter and started bleeding. Oh, I don't know. All it's a right. lot of hand-waving there. All right, so let's go on to fingerprints, common misconceptions, pet peeves, and other random pearls of knowledge. You know, I do have to say it only proves that it's much more common for common things to present uncommonly than uncommon things. So this was a classic presentation of March hemoglobinuria, which it wasn't. Right, right. Right? Exactly, exactly. And kidney stones probably, I don't actually know what the numbers are. I'm sure we don't even know what the numbers are, that if you take all comers with... um, gross hematuria, stones have to be near the top, if not Yeah, the top. maybe just behind infection. Right. All right, so uh, do you have some fingerprints? I don't. <laughs> Me neither. Okay, <laughs> let's right. move on. Common misconceptions. Okay, common misconceptions, I, this may be an obvious one, but I think it's important, is that hematuria is okay or is not that worrisome or can be passed over if, if a patient is on anticoagulation. That's just not true. Hematuria is abnormal. Even if your patient is on, I don't know, warfarin or rivaroxaban or whatever, if they have hematuria, you got to work it up. Um, there's a super old study. It's actually, I looked it up just before this to remind myself when it was from. It's from the Archives of Internal Medicine, now JAM Internal Medicine, from 1994. Um, it's a wonderful study that took 243 patients, followed them prospectively for two years. And what they found out is that the incidence of hematuria was no difference in people who were anticoagulated. At that time, obviously, it was on warfarin versus control. And that when people did have hematuria and you work them up, 81% of the cases actually had like a real cause, Things, all the things that we've talked about so far. So kind of similar to GI bleeding on, on anticoagulation, you still work it up. That's exactly what I was thinking. And also similar to when we talked about the data behind people with benign sounding rectal bleeding, you know, anorectal bleeding, is you still have to take it seriously. 
It worries me that 1994 seems like you said it was a long time ago. That doesn't feel that long ago <laughs> to me, but maybe that's just... I'll let that go. All right. So my common misconception is I have a little bit been confused about when we talk about blood clots in the urine. So the common teaching, which is true, is that blood clots represent lower tract bleeding, but you have to be careful that that still includes all of the uroepithelium going up all the way into the renal pelvis. Right. So it's easy to, when you hear blood clots, we're not thinking about glomerular bleeding. That is true. But renal cell carcinoma kidney stones, bladder cancers can all present that way. And the point I want to make is you still have to image the kidneys in addition to the bladder if you don't find a source in the bladder. Right. Agree. Agree. And I, I have a fairly memorable case from decades ago um, of someone who presented maybe the worst hematuria that I've ever seen with clots, with obstruction related to clots, uh, was from renal cell carcinoma, which I, I guess had acutely eroded into a vessel wow. uh, to cause that. All right. And you have another one? Um, yes. I would say maybe I'll build on what you just said. And I would say that gross hematuria is very scary and looks terrible, but it never really represents like significant life-threatening blood loss, right? It's it's not an upper GI bleed where someone can exsanguinate. People don't really exsanguinate out of their out of their urinary tract. Um, the cause may be significant, you know, it may be cancer, but it's probably not going to kill them acutely. Probably the greatest risk of heavy bleeding is what we've already referenced: um, is that you clot off a ureter or you clot off even more worrisome the urethra and can get renal injury related to that. I did have a fellow who once got urinary tract obstruction from bleeding. And so the next time he bled, he drank so much water, he got hyponatremia and ceased. <laughs> so he's just, I think you've told me about that. I before. have. All right. So let's go on to pet peeves. Okay. Pet peeves. This this gets a little bit to what we've always talked about. Um, when you have someone with gross hematuria, um, or let's even say microscopic hematuria, uh, skipping the cystoscopy after a normal CT because it sounds like a terrible test. Okay, um, this is I think maybe this is a bias, but for me it's usually in my male patients who are like, oh my god, I'm not doing that, and that's just wrong. You mentioned how common uh, bladder cancer is, um, and the data that I have for this is that if you look at all urothelial cancers, 90% of them are in the bladder. So if you've worked up urothelial cancer without evaluating the bladder, you've Miss ninety percent of the tumors. Right, it's kind of like when you look at the colon. You can't really look at the colon with a CT scan. You have to look right. at the lumen, right? Right. right. Perfect. Okay. Um, so mine was: uh, you still have to evaluate hematuria, even if it resolves spontaneously. You know, there was a study that showed that if they took men who were over fifty who had intermittent hematuria, uh, upwards of almost ten percent, eight to nine percent of them actually had a urinary tract malignancy when they were evaluated. So it's tempting to say, and patients always want to do this when their microscopic hematuria grows. How about if I see if it happens again? Right. And the proper response to that is no, because you might be sitting on something that's bled once and it's your opportunity to diagnose the cancer early. Right, right. Terrific point. And I think that is certainly reflected in the guidelines. And what's complicated is that, you know, you do have patients who have benign chronic microscopic hematuria, but you really can't say that until after you've evaluated them. Right, and then you can stop. Then right. you don't, right? Right. Um, All right, so let's go into some clinical pearls. I okay. think you have a couple. Clinical pearls, and again, you sort of referenced this or, or alluded to this earlier. You know, we always talk about a positive 
uh, dipstick for heme uh, that's negative for red cells. And we sort of jump on that as saying, this is hemoglobinuria or myoglobinuria. There are a few other causes. Um, I was very impressed you named one of these, which is a very dilute urine, actually causes osmotic lysis of almost all the urinary red cells. So although your positive dip is from red cells, you're not seeing red cells because you've lysed them. Um, a few other causes. So interestingly, semen um, may cause a positive heme reaction on the dipstick. I don't think that's very common, but if someone has had recent ejaculation and therefore has some semen left in their urine, um, that could cause a positive dipstick. Alkaline urine, but it's really alkaline urine, pH greater than nine. Wow. Uh, contamination with oxidizing agents used to clean the perineum um, can cause a positive dipstick. And lastly, we never talk about a negative dipstick with a positive micro, and that's because actually the dipstick is so sensitive. The dipstick is generally said to pick up two cells in the urine, and a positive micro is three to five cells. So actually the dipstick is more sensitive than the micro. Right, right. Well, that's terrific. And the, the only clinical pearl I would add to that is that you really have to routinely check a urine culture on any patient who has hematuria because it's actually fairly common that urinary tract infections will present with blood. Yeah. You should almost just repeat just that. Just do it. You know, right. And, and the fact that we got to the end of this podcast without really hammering that home maybe is terrible, because um, it really is true, right? And you'll sometimes be surprised that people will come in with hematuria, that you're like, that doesn't sound like cystitis, but it ends up being cystitis. Right. And the flip side of that is a lot of patients will come in absolutely freaked out by the blood, and we'll have to be reassured that like cystitis causes blood, and we treat it the exact same way we treat cystitis without blood. So let's just treat it. Uh, absolutely. So we hope you found this episode of the Symptom Diagnosis podcast useful and a bit enjoyable. As a reminder, our textbook, Symptom to Diagnosis, an Evidence-Based Guide, takes a much deeper dive into how to think about and reason through the diagnosis of medical presentations. The book is available in print, on your handheld device, and in a fully searchable mode via the Access Medicine website, available worldwide from McGraw-Hill. The music for this, the S2D podcast, is courtesy of Dr. Malin Martinez. <laughs>